how many of these kind of stories do you see? You see them all the time. It's very, very predictable. There's nothing that's really emotional or that dives deep into like motivations of anybody. So it's just kind of bland. <laughs> Hello, fellow geeks. Welcome to the Story Geeks podcast and thank you for joining us. You are part of a small but influential group of people we call Story Geeks. Fans of science fiction, fantasy, and comic books who love to dig deeper into geek stories to see how they impact us and the culture around us. These aren't just stories that help us escape, these stories shape our world. How? That's what we're discussing today. Don't forget to click the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future Story Geeks content. And as always, we want to hear from you. So follow us on Facebook or Twitter and send us your thoughts and opinions by commenting or emailing. If you like this podcast, be sure to share it with a geek friend. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Shear, and this podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. For more information about the Story Geeks podcast and other Reclamation Society projects, visit www.reclamationsociety.org. Now, let's dive into this week's episode. All right, Story Geeks. So today, we're going to be talking about James Cameron's Avatar, which, like, for context, is still, like, one of the highest grossing films, if not the highest grossing film of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, Just recently, why why talk about Avatar right now? Well, for a couple reasons. One, they're still coming out with sequels. Um, I just found that out. Yeah, there's like four or five. Like four, I think there's like four sequels in development. Yeah, yeah. Um, developing all at once. Uh, Pandora, the world of Avatar, just opened up at Walt Disney World. Uh, so there's a lot of attention being drawn to Avatar. And we've got a couple other things too in the deeper questions that we'll get to that are prompting us to have this discussion. But first off, let me welcome our guests. First up, Seth Fontaine. Seth is one of the founders of Urban Vinyl, which is a sponsor of the Story Geeks podcast. Ooh. They have the premium wood headphones. I use the premium wood headphones. They're called Classics. They look really um, good on you. <laughs> <laughs> I use them when I record the Story Geeks podcast because it's, you know, it's, yeah. they, they work awesome. They're super high audio quality. Highly recommend them. And actually, when you buy a pair and you use the code, which you'll hear an advertisement for, but it's code uh, my name, J-A-Y, um, they actually will make a donation to the Reclamation Society, yep. which is super cool. Yeah. So Seth is also a really big geek. Yes. Uh, he was on our, um, he was, Mark Herleman and Seth were on our Revenge of the Sith podcast, talked a lot about legends and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Seth, welcome back. Anything, thank you, thank you. Let us know where to find you on social media and everything. Uh, my personal social media, uh, Instagram is where I'm most interactive. That's just Seth Fontaine, S-E-T-H-F-O-N-T-A-I-N-E. Or then on Twitter, I'm pretty active on there too. It's Seth J Fontaine. Uh, but yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love doing these podcasts. So yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Well, we're excited to have you. Um, the other guest we have is actually uh, pretty close to me, although he's now moved farther away. So uh, Cody Shear is my brother. He knows a ton about Star Wars stuff. He's like the Mark Herleman level knowledge. So if you listen to the Revenge of the Sith podcast, you heard Mark Herleman. Who knows like everything there is to know about legends and cody is like right up there he used to even manage a star wars wiki so wow that shows you how much he knows he would send out trivia questions to my brother and i to see which one of us knew uh, more about star wars uh, he also happens to be a geek author so i'm gonna have him tell us about some of his stuff so cody welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about what you're doing 
Yeah, um, thanks. Good to be here. Uh, right now, I've got um, working on a new fantasy book that I'm uh, hoping to have published in the next couple of months. And um, if the easiest easiest way to find find me on social media is just Facebook, and it's um, Cody, so C O D Y, the letter J, and then Sheer, so S H E R E R, and that's that. You can find my author page by doing a search for that. And then I have information on there about how you can find my books on Amazon and uh, other different retailers and such. Um, pretty much all my books are ebooks, just so that people know. Nice. And they mostly mostly fantasy. Mostly fantasy. There you go. What's the name of like your the first book that everyone wants to get involved from the very first standpoint? Um, the easiest one to find is uh, the Wizard's Council, which is uh, actually you can find it for free on Amazon and uh, a couple other different websites. Oh, nice. The Wizard's Council, dude. Sounds yeah. pretty... Sounds intense to me. Um, all right, so if you guys know what we do here, we're going to do a spoiler-free review. Um, and we actually have a few questions that we ask to kind of get the review going. So the first thing that we ask is for a quality rating. So Cody, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your quality rating for James, Cam James Cameron's Avatar? I'm going to go ahead and give it a 5. Ooh. Mm. So... And uh, a quick explanation to that. Um, personally, I feel the story and the plot and the characters are a bit on the weaker side. 100%. But from an, from an entertainment standpoint, it's still an entertaining movie. And the visuals were impressive for their time. And the sound, even still, is, is, is solid. So mm -hmm. I'd say it gives it, to, I would say, about a five overall. Okay. Five? All right. Five out of ten for quality. Um, what about I, you, Seth? I totally agree with his points. Um, the story and the character is just. It's very basic, and it's mm -hmm. been there, done that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. the entertaining value of the movie, it's like you can watch it, and it can be something in the background that you just kind of enjoy. Um, visuals are beautiful. The sound is great. So just purely yeah. off the entertainment value, I would give it like an 8. Oh, nice. So here's what's pretty interesting here. We've got um, sort of someone in the middle ground, because mm -hmm. Cody's at a 5. Got someone that's kind of higher, on the, more on the high end, which is Seth. <laughs> You've got me. <laughs> I have it at a 3 out of 10. And this is like super controversial because the Metacritic score is 83 and the Rotten Tomatoes score is 83%. And so, and, and those two scores um, are pretty decent scores, especially the Metacritic score. Very few films like score highly on Metacritic. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, the technology here is outstanding. The visuals are amazing. The visuals look just as good as movies that are being made today. Yep. Um, if not better. If not better. Uh, two things to me. For me, one, the villains are total caricatures, and there's no reason for them. There's no rationale for them to be those caricatures, really. Yeah. I think. Um, and then the story itself, I think, is fairly uninteresting. So, yeah. um, we all agree on the same points. <laughs> it's just that we all have different feelings about what that does to us. Um, all right, Seth. Now, from a story depth rating, how deep is this story? Well, like I said, it's just a very you know cookie-cutter story. I mean, how many of these kind of stories... I don't want to go into spoilers, so we'll talk about it more later, but how many of these kind of stories do you see? You see them all the time. It's very, very predictable. There's nothing that's really emotional or that dives deep into like motivations of anybody, so it's mm -hmm. just kind of bland. <laughs> um, because of that, I'd give it like a four or a five. Okay, four or five? Yeah. What about you, Cody? Uh, I, I would give it a three for basically the same the same reasons. Yeah, we're all in the same range on this one. Mm -hmm. I'm a four. Um, 
I do think that the film has a pretty strong environmental message, which I think it does really well, actually. Yeah. Um, obviously, we should care about the environment, and we'll talk about that more in, in depth questions. Yeah. Um, what's interesting to me is that it just kind of pushes that message really, really hard <laughs> without diving or delving deep into anything associated with it. So there's not much. There's not much background. It just kind of smacks you in the face of the message. So in this regard, and this is probably a pretty severe criticism of this film and James Cameron, um, probably, but (laughs) it feels like, and for those of you who don't know, I am a Christ follower who happens to strongly dislike Christian films. Um, And it feels like a Christian film. Like the way that a Christian film like beats you over the head Mm. with like a morality tale, like this is just beating you over the head with a environmental tale, which by the way, that message is great. Like I said, the problem is you have to give me rationale for why it's important that I believe that. Yep. You have to give me uh, more than they give me in this. So that's that's kind of where it just kind of just scratches the surface, like you guys said. Which then brings us to our likelihood to refer it to other people. Cody, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your likelihood? 10 being you're definitely going to re- recommend it to somebody. What, what's your likelihood? I, I would say that like as a base, I would give it like a 3. With, mm-hmm. with the caveat being, if you're a science fiction fan, then you'd maybe give it an extra two points. And then if you're if you're uh, you know somebody who likes the more James Cameron type of movies, then maybe you can give it an extra two points on, to, on for that as well. Okay, so somewhere between a three and a seven, just depending on how how you gauge what the person is like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about you, Seth? Yeah, I was gonna say about a seven. Okay. Um. So. Yeah, yeah, right there with Cody. <laughs> so nobody here is like a like a raving fan. We're all sort of like, meh, it could be better. Well, it's funny because like last time I watched this movie was I don't know four or five years ago. Right. And I, from what I remember, I loved it. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah. Now that I'm older, and I'm, <laughs> I rewatched it just yesterday, um, I'm kind of like, you know, this wasn't as good as I remember. Yeah. And there's a lot of issues I'm finding with this. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually like when you look back in hindsight, um, and, and like we just did a, by the way, if you haven't watched, we haven't listened to it, we did a top 10 sci-fi films. This definitely fits in the sci-fi category, but not a lot of people had it in their top five because we did a poll of like 20 people. I know I sent mine to yours after the thing. Did I, I think I included it, right? I don't, I, I don't know. I'll have to go back and check. We'll have to go back and check yours and yeah. see if it's in there. Um, but yeah, I feel the same way that you guys feel about it. I, I remember distinctly when I saw it in the theater, I did see it in 3D and I remember telling people like, wow, it's really amazing. Like it's mm-hmm. fully 3D. Like it yeah. feels 3D. It doesn't feel like old cheesy 3D the way that 3D used to feel like this feels like legitimate. Um, on top of that, I don't remember feeling, it just was like I was enthralled with that. Yeah. And then everything yeah. else just kind of got lost. Nowadays, um, I am like, I'm not a hater. I'm not a hater, but I'm definitely not referring it to anybody. So like, I I put it as a two out of ten, just because like for me personally, like there's a million movies I would tell you to go watch. Not a million, maybe a million. I don't know. There'd be a bunch <laughs> of movies, dozens and dozens and dozens of movies I would tell you to go watch before I'd ever get to Avatar. Yeah. Um, if somebody said to me like, "Dude, I have a month to live and I just want to watch movies," I'd be like, "Avatar is not something <laughs> that I would recommend." Um, but right. I, th- I think part of the reason is because at the time, two thousand nine, the visuals were just so far ahead of its time. Yes. And now the visual mm-hmm. effects for everything else is caught up. Yeah. So now it's like on the same level. And looking back at it, it's like, well, all these other mo- movies have the same visual effects, 
plus the story, and that's where it gets lost. But for the time, like you said, you're, the visuals just kind of distract you from everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they, I mean, the world building is pretty phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Um, just like, this isn't really a spoiler because it's in all the advertisements and stuff, but like the the floating mountains or whatever they're called, like mm-hmm. that visually is pretty stunning. And yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, whoever mm-hmm. thought of coming up with that was, you know, it's really, really cool. Um, all right, so we're going to dive into some of the deeper questions that Avatar kind of asks us to consider. Um, this is your spoiler warning, so if you have not seen Avatar, go out and see it before you get into these questions. Um, question number one, uh, Seth, I have you up first to answer this one. Are there are any of the characters in Avatar compelling to you? And if so, who and what makes them compelling? <laughs> Um, you know, it's weird. They're not very compelling. Going back to the story and the character development, everything's very bland. Um, Jake goes from, like, the grunt to, like, super, super hippie. (laughs) (laughs) Just for, like, lack of better terms. And it's just, like, if I had to pick a character, I'd pick Sigourney Weaver's character, and that's just because I'm a huge fan of Sigourney Weaver. Um, And I think whatever role she does, she actually does it well. But... I mean, it's just, it's hard to really fall in love with any of these characters. It's just, there's no really depth to any of them. Yeah, they go into Jake's story a little bit about how his brother died, but it was like, when he sees his brother dead, there was like no remorse. It was just like, oh, my brother's dead. Like, (laughs) you know, there was no emotion to it. Right, Um, right. And I I don't know about you guys, if you watch the extended, um, the extended version where it goes into the whole Earth part, and there's like an extra 20 minutes of... Jake being on Earth before he goes to Avatar? No, I had not seen that one. Okay, so that was my first time watching it because I was watching I'm like, I don't remember any of this. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> and then after I was reading the comments, I was like, oh, this is the extended version. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, but there's like 20 minutes of just Jake talking and it gives a little bit better of the story development, I guess, oh, but it wasn't anything substantial. Yeah. You know, and it just kind of shows how like Earth's been destroyed and there's nothing viable on earth they have to live off like algae or something like that some kind of algae protein uh, um yeah but anyways other than that it was just like i don't know i was this this i don't know third fourth time of me around watching this yeah. or most recent time i just really wasn't impressed by any of the characters it was yeah. just kind of bland yeah uh what about you cody what do you who, any characters you find compelling well i for me it was more it was not so much that i like i wasn't necessarily compelled by the characters but there were certain characters that I wanted to like, that I felt like just were not fleshed out well enough. And one of those is, like, Norm, who's, like, the the secondary scientist yeah. guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they introduce him as a pretty interesting character, but then they, you know, he kind of just... There's not a lot to what happens with him. <laughs> right, right. And, like, from, like, he goes from being, like, the scientist to, like, even being a bit of, like... You know, he ends up, like, wielding a gun near the end, but... <laughs> Aside from that, they don't really have a whole lot going on with him. Right, right. Yeah. And then one of the other characters is Trudy, who is the pilot that uh, joins the joins the scientist and the in the Navi. <laughs> and it's you know, I mean, it's Michelle Rodriguez, and it's just one of her generic roles where she plays like the 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 tough character. The and it's chick. it's an interesting it's an interesting character, but they just I feel like they didn't flesh it out enough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we're gonna get into some of the character journeys a little bit more um, as we get through near the end of the questions here. 
Um, and I, I'm in total agreement with both of what you guys are saying. Um, in fact, my favorite, my most compelling character was actually Sigourney Weaver's character as well, which mm-hmm. is Dr. Grace Augustine. Mm-hmm. I think that she seems the most well-rounded and... Yep. One of the things that's that because of that is because she seems like a scientist, which is what she's supposed to be. Um, <laughs> she is seems to be motivated by studying the Navi, mm-hmm. but she's completely failing at it because they basically the Navi have basically kicked everyone out, yeah. kicked all the scientists out because of what the military is doing. The military thinks that what she's doing is completely worthless and not worth the time. Yep. So she's sort of this character who's between a rock and a hard place, yet she's still pressing forward. So we kind of understand that, like, as a scientist, she has a motivation to study. The military doesn't believe in her. The Navi are skeptical of her. And then she's kind of stuck, which gives her character some automatic depth. Like, there's lots of conflict. Like, everything is conflict around her. So Mm -hmm. I agree with with you, Seth. Like, her, her character is very compelling. And then, like you both said... There's just every other character is super one note. Yeah. Like the colonel shows up and it's like, this dude has virtually no reason for doing any of the things that he does. Like there's, there's no backstory into like his parents were killed by an alien race or something where you're like, okay, this guy, would, okay, I can kind of get why he hates these aliens so much. Dude's the just scar. hates. Yeah, like, I guess like it's just crazy. He's out for vengeance because the scar. <laughs> yeah, it's just so it's just so weird. Like it's just such a very strange like. And then and then of course you have and I have a question about this later. But then you have like evil corporate guy, right? Like again, there's no like pressure on him to deliver. We don't know like all they had to do was give us something like where his boss is like, look, if you don't deliver the goods, like you are out, right? And then we'd be like, okay, now he has some more motivation to do what he's doing because he's under pressure. But no, he's just a jerk. Like, there's nothing else. There's no reason for him to be a jerk. He's just a jerk. Well, there's a line that he says about that. He says, um, killing the natives or something like that is bad press, but having the, uh, the shares drop or something like that is even worse or something. Yeah. It was something, I, I'm butchering that line, but it was something along those lines. Yeah. And that was pretty much the extent that we got of it. Exactly. And yeah. it's like, well, that's not really that great a motivation to kill, to, to, I know. to, to genocide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> can you imagine, can you imagine like Jeff Bezos is like, oh man, Amazon stock's going down. <laughs> right. Let's just let's, kill him. Let's kill some people. <laughs> like, yikes. Okay, so let's, let's transition to the setting for a minute because we all talked about how cool the setting was. Yeah, very cool. Um, but we've also got these kind of like these factions that appear. Mm-hmm. So the factions that are set up are a paramilitary organization that's acting as a security force mm-hmm. for the corporation that's mining unobtainium, which is probably the dumbest mineral name in the history of movies. <laughs> uh, but that aside, like um, we've got the scientists who are studying the Navi um, and Pandora. And we actually, I'm not even sure we know who the scientists are working for, because there's sort of an indication that they're kind of working for the corporation, maybe, but like, not like for any good reason, just, I don't know who they're working for, honestly. It's like, it's, it's, it's a little <laughs> well, bit confusing. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit confusing. And then finally, we have the Navi themselves. So we're kind of set up to look at these four factions. How do you think each of these factions is set up by the storytellers, Cody? Well, I, I think it's interesting because I think that the setup is actually a very a good one where they could have done a lot more with it because you, you have the paramilitary group who it seems like they're kind of the rejects of the regular military, hmm. but they're kind of given this new this new life where they're like 
it's kind of a rebirth for them because they have this new place where they're kind of the they're necessary because without them the scientists are not going to be able to do any study any of the stuff because it's a super dangerous planet mm-hmm. yeah so it gives them it can, you, know, you take a group of, of people who you know might be seen as like no longer necessary and you kind of give them a new life but then they don't really go anywhere with that yeah. right Right. Uh, and then the corporation is just painted as like this this ominous evil people. Right. <laughs> That's about all you get with them. <laughs> right. Right. And then you have the scientists where it's, you, they're kind of thrust into the situation where they want to be able to study all this stuff, but they they have to rely on a group who's not all that trustworthy in the in the military guys to to kind of keep them safe and get them to the destinations that they need. So it's, it, from that standpoint, I think they have a really interesting setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know the, the Navi are, you know, it's it's your typical your typical like, uh, um, it's like a, you know it's like a generic alien race who's in tune with the planet and they're a little bit uh, distrusting of foreigners and things like that. But they're in all they're an interesting they're an interesting culture. Mm-hmm. And they're painted as the good guys by the by the storytellers. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. They're definitely they definitely seem. Although I will say, I will say that they are the good guys, but they're in and almost they're forgiven for some things mm-hmm. that I actually think you could dive into a little deeper and realize that they shouldn't be forgiven for some of their behaviors. But that right. that's, that's an aside. I'll, I'll let I'll let Seth answer this question too. What do you think of these four factions? Um. Yeah, Cody, Cody pretty much got it. There's a few things I want to like to add. The paramilitary, I see them more as like mercenaries than anything. Right. Um, you know, the Navi, again, very generic, but I do like their little twist on it, like how they do connect with nature. That's mm-hmm. a nice little twist. And yeah. I like, I really like the visuals again and all that. And um, there's, I'm, we're going to dive into this deeper, but there's like almost like a force aspect to it. Oh, yeah. Um, which I, I think that's cool. That was a nice little addition so mm-hmm. it's like generic plus a step <laughs> yeah right 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 um and then for the the corporate guys so without without diving deeper you really like cody said you have no reason for their intentions i did do a little bit of research before this and i found out that unobtainium is one of the things that's keeping the human race alive ah. the the planet right now earth has i think 20 billion uh in that setting Whoa. has 20 billion people and in order to create this protein algae, they need unobtainium. So when you put it that way, it's not now all of a sudden the humans aren't the bad guys just because mm-hmm. they're rich, rich and greedy. It's more of, well, we need to save the humans, and this is one of the ways to do it. Right. Um, now, there are other ways of doing it, of course, but uh, and that's when it comes into, is it worth destroying an entire civilization or entire species for the good of humans? Then that's a whole other topic. But right. now at least there's some different, there's actually some motivation. And without exactly. reading that, which they don't say in the movie, you would never know that. Um, so that's kind of an, an issue, and I feel like that was kind of thrown in there because that was an issue, <laughs> as a way to solve the plot hole <laughs> after the fact. Um, and then the scientists, like, it's so random. Like you said, they're just like, why are they there? You don't, you don't know. Right. Um, my best guess, and this is just kind of me trying to fill that plot hole, is just there's, they saw an opportunity and got some kind of grant or scholarship or something to go explore that. Uh, but they had to be traveling with these guys since they were already going. Right. 
and then now they kind of get to tag along and, and do some research through some kind of government grant or you know and that's the only way that it would make sense to me but I don't know it was just I don't I was disappointed this last time around watching this movie. It wasn't what I remembered. <laughs> yeah, and I actually agree with both of you that the setup is actually pretty interesting and mm-hmm. very intriguing because you do have four groups. If they were given motivations, if we understood their motivations, or at least if their motivations were made more public in yeah. the film itself, like you're saying, because there are some motivations for getting unobtainium, right? Mm-hmm. Then I think that, that it would drastically change all of the issues that we have with the film because you know before this film came out um as we were dealing with uh the our involvement in iraq mm-hmm. there was a paramilitary force in iraq called blackwater and mm-hmm. blackwater was doing some very shady things in iraq and and there's this is documented you can go out on the internet and you can read about blackwater in the in the basically the mid 2000s if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and i feel like this is a good example of where the where cuz it asks a very important question and that is what do we do with paramilitary right mm-hmm. these are privatized they're really, they're really, we're called, we call them paramilitary in a nice way. They're really mercenaries. Yeah. They're hired mm-hmm. by some government agency to do something. Um, the problem is, is that this, I think that there's a blurry line when we talk about the paramilitary force in Avatar, because all of the former service members that I know, or at least a large majority of them, are all super responsible people who entered the military to defend America and to defend the values of America. And they're not just like these crazy warmongering people who like want to just go out and like find something to kill. Like that's Mm -hmm. not who they are. And so it's, it's, I think if you're going to say like, this is Blackwater and then Blackwater is bad and you're going to make that comparison in Avatar, you've got to show us the difference between the military who's responsible and the military who's irresponsible. So just imagine like, and maybe this will happen in the, in the upcoming films, but add a character who's like a really good guy who's like leading the paramilitary force and then make the colonel his second in command and like make him have like a backstory where his parents or his wife or whatever was killed by an alien and all he wants to do is kill aliens, but his mil- his his motivation is not because of his former military background, it's because of what happened to him as a kid or as a young younger adult. Yep. And then have the lead military guy who's the good guy die and have the colonel take over yeah and now you've got a really compelling motivations for all of these all this paramilitary force so mm-hmm. i'm with you guys 100 percent on that um mm-hmm. well you should have the lead guy die by one of the navi exactly and then that's easy that was even more dynamic and yep. yep or or if it's not even the navi maybe it's the second in command makes it look like it's the navi yeah or, you know what i mean like yeah. something like that exactly like, mm-hmm. Then we get this like really compelling reasons why like there's stuff going on that's more personal to the characters as opposed to this is Blackwater that's and we're just gonna <laughs> set that aside as like a thing right yeah um, and I know, obviously we have Jake and Trudy and they're not like they're not necessarily like team military or paramilitary uh, but but then again we don't really get really compelling reasons why they're one team or why they're another team yeah. or they just kind of skate by on that so. Well, it's funny. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it more about Jake's character arc, but you know, even the colonel says like, "Oh, you get some local tale, and now you switch sides." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And that's pretty much the extent of it. Yeah, <laughs> like, that is totally like, the extent of it. Which is hilarious. I forgot about that line. 
Uh, and I actually have a question for you, Seth, on this one. Yeah. Well, actually, you, you too, Cody. Because the Reclamation Society is a startup. It is a non-profit startup. Yeah. But I've done a tech startup before as well. Um, Cody, you have a self-publishing business where you're the author and you do that. Mm-hmm. And um, Cody's wife, Sarah, actually has a business that she runs. Yes. And Seth, you have had several businesses that you run. So my question for you guys is, as startup founders... And this was not, this was in my notes. This is not in your notes. So this is a surprise question. I'm just throwing this on you. As a startup founder, what's your take on this portrayal of corporations? Like you're starting a company yeah. that could be this evil entity. What do you think <laughs> about that? I mean, like, I think it's just such a, a stereotype that people think corporations are like this bad thing. And it's really not the case. Hmm. There's, you know, the one bad apple that spoils it for everybody or there's like, I mean, not everybody's good. Yeah. But if you look at the majority of people or companies, they're all generally out there to be good. Right. Growing up, I always heard like millionaires are, are total dicks and I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, you, you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they're selfish, they're greedy and all these things, right? And yeah. now being in a startup and actually learning and from these mentors who are millionaires, they're some of the most generous and kind people I've ever met in my entire life. Mm. And so I think it's just a stigma that the, either the media portrays or that everybody else throws on these corporations. And again, there are a few bad ones out there. I'm not saying everybody's good. Right. But for the most part, people are inherently bad. I don't feel like people ever are inherently bad. Every time they do something, it's it's you know to help themselves. And then that might start conflicting with someone else. And that's when they could be seen as quote unquote bad. Right. But for the most part, people, if they have the resources, they give back and help out as much as they can. Because me as a business owner, I'm a firm believer in what comes around goes around. And that's what I've learned from all the mentors above me. You know, especially like you too as well. You've helped us out so much in our startup. And, you know, it's just a, a big thing. What you give is what comes back to you. And so there's no reason for these corp companies, if that's the, the case, uh, to, you know, be super greedy because then they're not going to make anything. They're going to get the, the hate of the public. They're not going to make any money. And it's just, it's counterproductive. Right. So, anyways, that's in, my in, rant. <laughs> no, 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 that's excellent. Cody, anything to add to that? Um, I, I mean, I agree. I agree. I just, I think that one of the things is, you know, since, because a corporation is an entity as opposed to a person, mm-hmm. it makes it a lot easier to target them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a corporation can't defend itself. Only the people that work there can. So it makes it a lot easier for somebody to point at a corporation and go, oh, look, this corporation is evil. They only care about money, yeah, you know, et cetera. There is, something in, uh, there is something that's really fascinating because I work with, um, in my day job, um, I, wish, I wish that this was my day job. It's not my day job. <laughs> I have another job, which is actually an amazing job too, so I can't really complain. But I help a lot of startups. Yeah. I, I work with a lot of startups, and I see a lot of people starting companies, and Obviously, making a living or making money is a part of their motivation. 100%. As it should be, right? Mm-hmm. However, um, I have not met somebody who is like, I would like to make money at the expense of the world or exactly. of the environment. Like, right. I've not met a person that's been like that. Now, obviously, like, you know, there's a lot of ethical questions that come into play. Like, if you are getting something manufactured in China, like, are they hiring child labor? Are mm-hmm. they, like, these are questions that they have to explore and have to, like, wrestle with. But none of them are actually going out to say, um, well, I want to screw people over and just make as much money exactly. as I possibly can. Like, none of them are saying that. Like, exactly. I, And I will say this, that there is something that occurs as businesses grow. And I've worked for corporations as well, so I've seen this happen. 
And I've actually dealt with startups who were bought out by corporations and then seen how that's affected the way that they do things. Mm -hmm. And I will say this, that because of the laws the United States has um, in governing, uh, and not even just the laws, but the way that business works, when you get to a corporation level, like Cody said, it's easier to point at the corporation as opposed to the individuals. A startup, it's usually got a few people and it's like obviously you just point at individuals because they're the ones running it. Corporation, it gets pretty muddy as to what's going on. And there is one motivating factor that corporations tend to get, particularly when they're publicly traded, that does not occur with startups and that is you've got this stock price. And the stock price does need to, it's like this somewhat arbitrary thing where we have assigned value to a stock price and then say, oh, okay, well, we don't think that Amazon's earning is very nice. I don't know why I'm picking on Amazon. We don't know why Apple's earning numbers are very good. Therefore, the stock price should go down. And some of that is just complete hypothetical manipulation. So if you're Apple, sometimes businesses work this way. And I don't mean to go on as a big rant, but like I just, since I work in the business realm yeah. and since I'm starting companies, like this is, no, I love it. Companies start out by saying, I need to meet the needs. Yep. In fact, I actually b- believe it's, it can be one of the best service opportunities you have to serve other people. To say, they have a need, I'd like to meet that need. Yep. Go out and meet that need in a really good way, in a way that they're so happy with you that they want to exchange value, usually in the terms of buying your product. That's awesome. But what, what can actually end up happening is that corporations, when they get really, really big, can start making decisions that affect the stock price that are actually negative decisions that impact the customer base. So that can occasionally happen. But again, we don't see any of that backstory in this film. So the corporation just seems very just evil for the sake of being an evil corporation. Well, that backstory would be a whole other story in itself. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But I mean, the last thing I'd like to add to that is like, look at like Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Google, what are they all doing? You know, they're all publicly traded companies, but Mm -hmm. what are they all doing? They're all trying to make the world a better place. Yeah. They're actively taking part in investing in, and um, doing grants for anything that will help, you know, save energy, save time, whatever it can do to make the world a better place. And they're doing that. Yeah. You know, so those are some of the biggest companies, if not the biggest companies out right now. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're doing whatever they can. Yep. So, so I don't know. That's just. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this is going to make me sound really um, capitalist, yeah. um, which, by the way, I am pretty capitalist. So that, that's not that's not um, I, I do believe in like trying to be as socially good as a capitalist as you can possibly be. Yeah. And the reason but one of the reasons why I like capitalism as opposed to communism is because you as a consumer can always make the choice not to buy the goods and services. Yep. So if mm-hmm. there is a company that is doing nefarious things, stop paying them. Stop <laughs> exactly. buying from them. Exactly. In, in the communist setup, the government makes those decisions and the government oftentimes is not even elected. Yeah. And you can't change you can't change that. Like you are locked into whatever it is that they're doing. Well, so that's, that's assuming that our government's elected, but what? <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other conspiracy. Topic. <laughs> That'll be another podcast. That'll be our, our second podcast. <laughs> then just to really quick um, just wrap this up because I know that I've been spending a lot of time and I've been ranting about this. Um, well, it's a big theme of the movie. So yeah, it's a big part of the movie. So, but the tri- the tribe here, uh, the Navi tribe, and it, there's an indication that there are other tribes. That are on this planet as well. They basically are kind of a mashup between what we would be familiar with 
um, in the United States as being Native American or even some African influence. Yeah, that's what I go from. You got kind of those two things kind of playing, um, which I think can be, it can be really hard to do that well without being disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd be interested in hearing someone's opinion about whether or not they felt like if someone, someone who's Native American or someone who is from Africa, um, if they did a good job capturing that or if those characterizations became too kind of like cartoony almost or whatever, mm, like like not I like see. viable enough. But then again, I have no idea and I can't make a comment on that. So no. I will say that it, to me, it didn't break any new ground. There's yeah. nothing new there that I was like, you know, whatever. Um, and finally, I do like the scientists. I think they're the most interesting group because I think... Of all of them, we can kind of say like, well, the scientists, they're there to study and they're finding that difficult because of all the things that are going on. And we can see why there's motivations on each side to make that difficult and it makes them the most compelling. Yeah. So any final thoughts on those four factions? <laughs> no, I think, I think we did it. We covered it pretty deep on that one, yeah. <laughs> Star Wars fans, we are giving away two very special Star Wars prizes to Reclamation Society email subscribers. If you subscribe to the Reclamation Society's email updates, you are entered to win the Art of Rogue One. But thanks to a special donation from Daryl Smith, who is also one of the other hosts of the Story Geeks podcast, we have a second prize, a never-before-watched copy of The Phantom Menace on VHS. That means we have two super cool collector's items, and all you have to do is subscribe to our email updates. Which, by the way, you should do anyways. So, go visit www.reclamationsociety.org, and you can enter to win there. The link is in the show notes, so go subscribe now! So the next one, uh, Seth... What do you think is the overall theme or message of the film? And then are there any sub-messages that you picked up on as well? Well, we, uh, we kind of talked about this already to an extent. The theme of the film is that corporations are bad and um, environmentalism is good. Mm. You know, which, in hindsight, yes, you know, environmentalism is a great thing. Preserve the, the world any way you can. But that doesn't mean that corporations are necessarily bad ones doing that. Right. Um, now, at this time, you know, at the time the movie was made, and even right now, there is, you know, the deforestation of, of South America and all that. And I think that does have a good message, like, you know, we need to be aware of this. Um, and, you know, there's there's ways to to mine the minerals from the planet and get your resources from the planet to save the human race without destroying the planet. Right. And if you're that far advanced where you have giant tractors that are the size of skyscrapers, I mean, yeah. I'm sure you can figure out a way... <laughs> To not destroy the planet, <laughs> you know what I mean. And there, there's a bunch of things that I'll get into later. But uh, the biggest themes I think are just corporations are bad, conserve the planet, mm. um, be in tune with nature, uh, become a free spirit hippie, and everything <laughs> will be okay. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see some of those too. Cody, what about you? Well, I think that uh, I mean you know those definitely I definitely agree that those are the some of the overall themes. One of the sub-themes that I picked up on, which I feel like it, they did a poor job of, of making it, because it kind of gets, it kind of gets muddied, but it seems like they're trying to get, like, to show, like, oh, you should be respectful of other cultures. Hmm. And a lot of times it works, but then it seems like at other times it kind of gets pushed aside 
in favor of like oh corporations are bad or you know these these uh, paramilitary groups are all evil and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I think I was picking up on some of the exact same themes. So the, the wording I had was that um, I think that Cameron's main message here is like what you're talking about, Seth is attempting to showcase the importance of our natural resources and our responsibility to protect those resources as, as opposed to exploiting or depleting them. Mm-hmm. And that's a great message. Yeah. And I will say that there are a lot of corporations around the world that are abusing that privilege. 100%. And we do need to... I mean, I mean, whether you may have a million different opinions, and there are a million different opinions on what climate change means... But the reality is we're seeing the implications of the climate change right now. So there is something to be said about like this needs to be a discussion. This needs to be on the table. Um, so I think that that message is really good and really interesting. Um, and a little bit ahead of its time, I'm, um, Cameron was working on this message like you know a few years back. And now this is becoming at the forefront again of what we're looking at today. Um, one thing that I did find interesting though is that Cameron has made this technological masterpiece. And yet, the message of the film is that we should be more connected to nature as opposed to technological <laughs> advancement. <laughs> and it's just kind of funny because here he is creating this technological masterpiece and there's some irony in that because um, obviously he's saying get out into nature as well. Mm-hmm. Some quick side messages that are embedded in the film. I think that we're more alike than we are different when, when we're talking about... Um, humans and interacting with the Navi and the Navi are supposed to be humanoid so they're not supposed to be like a complete alien species they're supposed to be sort of uh, pseudo um, associated with Terrans or people from Earth uh, corporations are inherently greedy um, that's one of the messages I think is in there as well and then finally I'm not really sure what he's saying about the military but he's definitely throwing shade on the privatization of military personnel yeah. Um, so those are kind of some side messages in there as well. Interestingly enough, and this may come up later, but interestingly enough, there's not much. The love story is really minor, and it's actually fairly awkward. Yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting, too, because, I mean, Titanic, I think a lot of people would agree, is a pretty great love story. Yep. And that's a James Cameron film. So I don't know what exactly went wrong with this one. But, you, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just say, I wonder how he feels to have like two of the top grossing movies of all time. Like, the top, the, I think it's the top two, right? I don't know. I don't. So I think that I, there are some Harry Potters and some Star Wars in there somewhere. But yeah, I don't yeah, know. I don't I'll know. look it up really quick. Yeah. Go ahead. So, anyways, I think that that's a uh, um, that's just some interesting things to note. So now we're going to go a little deeper into that environmental aspect that we just kind of mentioned. Um, There has been a lot of talk recently about climate change. I think Al Gore has come out with a sequel to An Inconvenient Truth. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely a significant issue in the media and the political sphere right now, although there's so many things in the political sphere (laughs) that I think it's kind of getting um, sidetracked in some ways too. Avatar came out in 2009, which is as of this recording in 2017, is eight years ago. So... What impact do you think Avatar has had on this climate change discussion, Cody? I would think that, if anything, you could make the argument that the extremes that Cameron uses are actually off-putting to the opposite side, as well as people who are more in the middle. And I think that's damaging to the issue as a whole, because not only only from the extremes that he uses, but he kind of paints it as like there's only one 
way to fix the problem. And I think that if he if he were to take an approach of like you know maybe we should use our technology wisely so that we can you know live in unison with these people and have them show us how to better merge technology with environmentalism, I think it would have gone over better. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, I think that it kind of damages his argument because of how extreme and you know how. Uh, narrow his view of the answer to climate change or whatever you want to call it. Right, right. What about you, Seth? What do you think? So my whole take on the unobtainium is kind of paralleling like crude oil, right? How we're Mm. depleting our crude oil, um, which is funny because like that's in fuel emissions and everything like that. It's not even the biggest factor to climate change and everything. It's agriculture. Oh, yeah. um, you know the the agriculture and the industrialization industrialization of agriculture is the biggest cause, um, you know, by far compared to anything else. So it's I don't know. It's just funny that I feel like he's just pointing the finger at whatever you can point the finger at, but he doesn't really know what exactly is the bad guy or what exactly is the cause. Mm. And this movie just kind of says like all of it's bad, and it's not necessarily true. You right. know, again, we talked about that. It's just. You know, it, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I'm frustrated with the movie now. <laughs> like, just watching it again, I'm just so frustrated. Because it was, it was so good when I remembered it. But, yeah. Um, and then in 2009, it was an interesting time, too. Because, um, I mean, let's see, that was eight years ago. Yeah. So, I think I was still in junior high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I was, a, I was starting, yeah, I was graduating eighth grade, going into my freshman year of, of high school. Mm. And so, like... At the time, I really didn't care about any of this stuff. I was just, mm. like, exploring high school and learning about girls. So <laughs> so now, um, coming back to this, now that I'm an adult, you know, it's, it's interesting seeing all these themes. And it's kind of hard for me to think back, like, at that time because right. I wasn't paying attention to any of that. And now I'm very conscientious of, like, what's going on in the world and how it's affecting everything. So right. at the time, crude oil might have been a way bigger polluter or a bigger issue than... Um, agriculture right now but I don't know so yeah I guess I'm the wrong person to ask this question <laughs> <laughs> well okay so here, here's the, here's one of the reasons why I think a question like this is fascinating because um, whether or not so one of the reasons we started the Reclamation Society one of the reasons we started the Story Geeks podcast is because if you take a look at storytelling storytelling is the main way that our brains understand and interpret yes. the world around us. Okay, so as we watch these stories, our brains are working and going, "What is the story telling me?" And then, do I want to believe whether or not it's true? And how does it help me understand the world better? So, the, the, this film's impact on culture is a fascinating topic, um, and I'm not sure that Avatar hasn't had any impact, but I'm still not clear on what that impact is. So. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we talk about in the startup marketplace, since this has already come up and you know that I'm interested in startups, is that the most important factor in startup success is actually timing, is when you launch what you're going to do, um, or when your actual growth p- period starts. Yep. Um, because you, your idea has to take hold in culture and then grow out of culture. Yep. And 
I think there has been a lot of green startup technology that has been reaching the marketplace. And I think that's a really, really positive thing. Um, so I know it's probably strange for the listeners to hear someone who says, oh, I kind of identify as a capitalist. And then I'm also going to say, like, I identify as an environmentalist. Yeah. I do. I, well, I identify as both. You can start a company that's about green energy. Yeah, exactly. Maybe Why it's not? not contradictory at all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, like, let's just take Tesla, for example. Tesla was founded in 2003, but did not release a car until 2008. Yeah. So... Could Even you make then. an argument that with Avatar coming out in 2009 and being a film that everyone saw that actually was able to make and have an impact on Tesla sales? I don't think so. I think you might be able to. You well, might be able to, but I don't know. Because at least for me, when I I guess what I, the point I was trying to get at is like, yeah. this movie, when it came out, I didn't hear anybody talk about environmentalism. Because mm. at that time, I don't think it was a thing. I didn't really start getting introduced and start hearing about environmentalism until about 2012, 2013, 2014. Mm. And that's when it all really started coming together. So I feel like both Tesla and that's why their sales were suffering so long until about 2012. Yeah, yeah. And Avatar, like no one really brought up these these topics or even thought about these until then. Right. Well, and that, and that could be a good point. You could say like, well, it wasn't until a few years later that yeah. we actually caught on with yeah. the culture. But actually, we and we do find that with storytelling too. Like the story takes place here, but we don't see a culture change until five, six, mm-hmm. a decade, sometimes later. And that has to, it is par- partially because some of the people who may be impacted by the story may be younger and need to grow into. Yeah. Like this shapes their understanding of the world and how they interpret and see the world, but they have to grow into that over the longer period of time. But I will say that. Um, I was listening to Al Gore interviewed the other day um, about when in, An Inconvenient Truth came out and then the Inconvenient sequel. And a lot of the predictions that were made in An Inconvenient Truth have come true now that we are in 2017. And some of them have even come true in a, even more in negative ways. Oof. So all that to say that if Cameron's film had an impact... It did not have a big enough one that we were actually able to change um, what our behavior looked like. So I think we've come a long way in green technology, Mm -hmm. but statistically speaking, as we look around the world and see what's what's happening, I think we really have not come far enough. And that may may be because we haven't made individual decisions that help us to come along, or we haven't made, like you said, uh, sort of industry-wide decisions that have helped out in that case. Uh, and then there's always the case of too, like, well, how much of an impact can we have and what can we actually do to change it? I think those, those discussions are really good mm-hmm. and we should be having those discussions and figuring out what the best course of action is. Absolutely. So anything to add to that before we move on to the next? Yeah, I was just going to say a little disclaimer. Uh, my, my last thought was my opinion. Not, I don't have any hard data on that. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, that's a lot we're dealing with a lot of times in, in the Story Geeks podcast. Yeah. It's just what our opinions are. <laughs> Um, I wish we had hard data, but we don't always have hard data. So there yeah. you go. Uh, any last thoughts on that, Cody? Um, not, nothing, nothing particular. I mean, you know, I just, I, I do think that um, it is important to try and tackle issues like this in a movie or in a book or whatever. So I do, I do applaud James Cameron for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so this is a really interesting kind of storytelling mechanism to me. In the film, the Navi have a philo- have a philosophy 
wherein they allow nature to move and in turn they try and move with nature right so nature is kind of doing something and then they try to come alongside nature and it has this like symbiotic relationship mm -hmm. um it's a far more passive approach than we see like the terrans taking right <laughs> um so an example of this would be like the Kron choose their riders the akron are the flying beasts the banshees yeah the banshees and they choose their riders or at least they accept their riders it's not the other way around mm -hmm. um on the terran side those are the people from earth when i use the word terran that's usually referred to people from earth i don't know that the movie calls them that but technically it's, it's, it's a it. universal term exactly um they are bulldozing and forcing their way onto nature um so here's the question i have for you guys from a storytelling perspective how does Jake fit into this dynamic? <laughs> um, and I'll start with you first, Seth. You know, I think if had he not lost his legs and he'd just been another paramilitary guy, I think he just would have followed orders because you see that, you know, until he falls in love with, uh, what's her name, Natiri? Think yes, Natiri, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he was still reporting to, to the colonel and he was still following orders, just being like an average grunt. Um, and going off to the Banshees really quick, it, I think it's funny because like, Natiri tells him, let them choose you. And he's sitting there trying to like, <laughs> every single banshee he sees, he's trying to go for it. And they all fly away until like finally he sees his. But <laughs> so I feel like even then he's still trying to enforce himself, yep. you know, and then with the horses, like, you know, he has a very difficult time adjusting to their culture because he's learned the Terran way or the human way of just kind of, you force it and submit it to your will. The same, you know, again, the horses, the banshee, um, even like the what are the the jackals or whatever they were the wolves that that attack oh yeah him. yeah yeah you know he goes goes and he's very like brute and aggressive with them yep um and you you see that over and over again and even Terry calls him like a baby they're just making a lot of noise that's right what to do, you know so but at the very end of the of the movie he does come full circle and finally learns and understands that you know nature is something that you need to respect and 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 take care of and in turn it will take care of you. Um, but had he never lost his legs, I think he just would have been another grunt, never ex got these experiences. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's an like, like, like you said, it is an interesting question. He's kind of like in the middle ground. Yeah. He's more on like the military side at the beginning, and he kind of comes over to the Terry, or not to the Terry, um, the Navi, but not quite fully there. He still has some of those human aspects. You can see that. Yep the way he unites the clans instead of like the clans just coming together naturally. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. That's, a, that's what I was thinking to do that the whole thing. Cody, what about you? I think I, I, I'm actually glad that you use the word passive because I think the best way to put it is you have the, the Navi who have like a passive approach towards a more passive approach. And then you have the, the Terrans who have a more aggressive approach mm -hmm. And then you have Jake, who in the end ends up being more of an assertive approach, which ends up being the correct approach. Yeah. Mm. So it kind of shows that you have both sides, and it's kind of the middle ground that really is the best approach overall. That's a better way of putting what I was trying to say. I thought, well, it's a good point, and we're all kind of on the same page. I, I sort of had the, the same... I came to the same conclusion. And I think... I do think that Cameron could have hit the point home a little harder, because... Jake is falling somewhere in the middle, mm -hmm. but half the time he's bumbling into the path, right? So mm -hmm. it's kind of like, like you said, like he's like trying to find one Ikran and trying to find the next Ikran. And then when it comes to the 
Toruk, he like basically just forces his will on that yep. thing, it seems like. Yep. But that is supposed to be the prophecy fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So if the prophecy is supposed to be fulfilled, why isn't it naturally fulfilled as opposed to human a human being mm-hmm. demanding that it be fulfilled in a certain way? Yeah. Right? That's so an so point. I do I do really actually like your guys' takes on it because I think that it does showcase that there is this middle ground that we can live in that is both accepting of what's going on and also assertive good word Cody in its mm-hmm. in its uh, application but I think it's also a little bit weird because the entire time the Navi seemed to be portrayed as this like the holier uh, for lack of a better word the holier faction yeah. and yet mm-hmm. Jake's actions Spiritual. are the ones that bring them all together so it's like why did we need a human from another planet to yeah. save all of the people who are technically holier than uh, right? right? It's right? just so weird. It's just weird. <laughs> it, um, that was an issue I had. And yeah. we can get into, I mean, I don't think there's a question about the actual um, we can get into hy- it now. Yeah. hybrid humans, but that, that was a whole issue I had this time mm-hmm. around. They make a hybrid human to blend in with the Navi and become one of them, right? Yeah. But they still wear human clothes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. that's true that's true and that was like that that annoyed me and then on top of that it's a hundred and something years in the future and they can't track jake (laughs) like they lose him they can't track him and it's like they have to fly around like oh we now we can't because it's getting dark so he's just gonna have to live on his own like you don't have a tracking beacon on these things these are multi i'm assuming billion dollar oh gotta be yeah things and you're just gonna let it be in the forest where it can get destroyed yeah exactly (laughs) and then on top of that the paramilitary when they're destroying uh that one little sacred garden i forget what it was called yeah right after um jake and uh natiri had their little night (laughs) (laughs) yeah um they don't track that like jake's right there and they can't see on the cameras like oh hey that's jake right you know it's just, <laughs> just like bulldoze over him he'll move <laughs> and if he doesn't you know you run over him. but in reality that's you know a multi-billion dollar asset that they're just going to destroy it like no problem so right. it's, <laughs> those are a couple little issues i had with that that's you know, where we're at. another issue that i actually didn't even bring up in this at all but as we talk about it it's making me think of it um this was most apparent when uh, the Great Wall came out, which I have not seen. Okay, so I need to talk about. We'll need to talk about that separately or something. But mm-hmm. the Great Wall came out, and it was basically. It just cracks me up when we have these films where, because the same thing happened with um, the Last Samurai, where it's like, how in the world are the Japanese going to save themselves? They need Tom Cruise, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like, right? I mean, and or, or the same thing. And I actually was thinking, like, how in the world could Matt Damon make a movie called The Great Wall? Wherein literally someone from America, I'm assuming that's where he's from, again, I haven't seen the movie, has to come over and save an entire, right, country, right? Like, that's so offensive. But the thing that, uh, that occurs to me, well, I mean, the thing about the, the Great Wall that I think is kind of interesting is that actually that was a Chinese-backed film, from my understanding. Because I was like, what in the world? How are we do- making this film? This seems so offensive. But then that's what I heard through the grapevine was that that was backed by the Chinese. So it was like, no, we want Matt Damon in our film, as opposed to... Us saying, like, we should have Matt Damon save the Great Wall. Um, but it, it didn't occur to me until this conversation now that that's actually happening in this film as yeah. well. Like, oh, these these native people certainly can't save themselves. <laughs> we better bring over some Terran that has right? a better view of how to do things. By the way, he's an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It just, it just seems... 
that that's, seems pretty rough. That's what I mean by the story is very genetic, generic, yeah. not genetic. <laughs> <laughs> genetic too. There, there are genetics in there, yeah. yeah. But no, it's very generic. And like you said, the Great Wall. I haven't seen that movie either. But the Last Samurai, and the Last Samurai did it way better. Yes. You know, like the Last Samurai is a really good movie, and I enjoy watching that. There's a lot of good story depth to it. There's a lot of good character yes. development. And they could have done that in this movie. They made this movie an hour longer than the average movie. Yeah. So they had plenty of time to play with this. Yes. But instead they're like, ooh, look at Pretty Flower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in defense of, of, of some films that try and take this approach, like Tom Cruise is actually not the savior of the Japanese people. That's in true. That thing. Like, like he comes over and he learns yeah. how his Western viewpoint may be short-sighted yes so so there are is a lot of character development there where he becomes a better person through cultural immersion and yes. culture that he's not familiar with so i'm not necessarily going to criticize every film that does that but he is the last samurai <laughs> <laughs> and he is the that's only true. one that survives that's true. after getting gunned down <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point shame on you tom cruise no, i'm just teasing bullets could have hit anybody but they don't hit tom cruise <laughs> that's a <laughs> separate Scientology though. thing I guess um, which uh, by the way now we're going to transition into the religion of the Navi yeah um, and the religion of the Navi is based around this belief in Ewa and Ewa it basically closely resembles the force mm-hmm. in Star Wars very very similar there's a lot of takeaways that are kind of the same um, my question to you Seth is which take do you like better do you like the Iwa take better or do you like the force better and why is this like even a question come on the force <laughs> <laughs> but um i do like how how uh, what's her name Ed, Edwa, Iwa Iwa i can have, i can never pronounce yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that I don't know. um i like how the planet is like the entity you know and mm. then everything is in tune with the planet and sure. it's very like you know they said there's more neural pathways in the planet than there is in the human mind which is awesome um, I like that approach to it. And so the whole planet can, you know, interact with itself and it's all just one being living within itself. Yeah. Uh, kind of like, uh, I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, nice. Kind of, kind of like, spoiler alert, um, Peter Quill's dad, how he's a planet mm. and he makes little things on his planet. It's mm. That's kind of like the approach I got or the kind of the vibe I got, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the Force is just way cooler, hands down. Like, there's just no comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about you, Cody? What do you think? I, I agree. I think the Force. I mean, yeah, as a Star Wars fan, obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose the Force. Um, but what I do find interesting about um, the Avatar religion is, whereas in 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 Star Wars, there's there's no, you know, the Sith are obviously like completely evil, mm-hmm. so it's not like they've done something that allows them to be good enough to use the Force. But in in Avatar, we see. You know, Jake, like, uh, talks to Awa or whatever you want to call it, and, like, he is granted, like, oh, you know, I'm going to give you the boon of having the animals fight for you. So it kind of shows, like, you have to have uh, some level of, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like, you have to have a reason behind why you're doing what you do, whereas in Star Wars it's like, well, I know how to use the Force, so I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. Mm-hmm. Ah. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, I prefer the forest as well. I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt right now. You are. I've been looking at it this yeah, entire so, time. Um, obviously, <laughs> I'm going to do that. But but there's there actually are some specific reasons I think the forest is superior to. Um, for one thing, there's no indication that Awa exists outside of the world of Pandora, yeah. um, which sets up for these 
like interesting things because like now is that a spiritual thing is it an environmental thing is it a natural thing is it a magic thing like it's hard to tell because like star wars would say it doesn't matter what planet you go to the force is still there um the force is still influencing you it's much more of a spiritual type of thing in fact we talked about on our rogue one podcast how not only had we seen meditation occur with the force in the past, but in Rogue One, we actually saw prayer mm-hmm. occur as well, which is a whole different dynamic. There is an indication that they're praying to Ewa um, near the end there. They're kind of chanting and kind of weaving back and forth and sort mm-hmm. of uh, praying as a collective body. However, um, that's weird if the quote-unquote deity or however you want to call that, the spiritual force, is just subject to Pandora itself mm-hmm. without any other influence um, across other planets, um, which then makes it more like a heightened um, sentient being, yeah, not mm-hmm. spiritual, yeah. Um, and then, and then that that seems all of a sudden like pantheism, right? Where it's like, well, this planet has this god, and this other planet has this god, and this other planet has that god. Like, what if there's a planet that has a god of corporations? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the Parker character, like, who, G- Giovanna Ribisi, I believe, um, uh, then he's, like, full-on serving a different deity on a different planet. I mean, that's just weird, right? Yeah. Like, so, anyways, I'm not saying that, that that is true. I'm just saying, like, that is something that they could do. I do like that Iwa has a strong message about taking care of nature and Mm -hmm. our relationship to nature but i do believe the force goes far beyond that and it's more applicable in more situations so well what what's made a bigger impact on just the average person the force or iwa right exactly (laughs) exactly yeah exactly i mean i can't even pronounce iwa so (laughs) (laughs) i kind of wonder if in today's day and age because we talk about that right like the force has made an impact on more people right or they have at least gotten them to consider things that may, they may not have otherwise thought of mm-hmm. I wonder if today they would have greenlit the other four Avatar films after like hearing a conversation like we're having right now mm-hmm. right because we would all be talking about Star Wars even if Rogue One and The Force Awakens had not come out because yes. we're all big Star Wars fans yes. right but, like, in 10 years, will anybody be talking about Avatar? Like, only if those movies are amazing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. Well, again, when the movie came out, no one was talking about the environmental... Again, at least this is my opinion. Everyone was talking about how cool it looks and how pretty it was. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So, it's like the message... Like, the force of the message of the force is, like, you know, be respectful, be in tune, be calm, be collected, yep. be respectful, all that stuff, Right. And the list goes on and on and on. And people try to actually apply those. You see that. I I mean, you do. I know other people do. They actually try to actively pass, uh, apply aspects of the force in their life, even though the force isn't real. Yeah. This movie, it was just like, this is really cool. Right, 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 right. right. That was the the extent that everything got (laughs) it. What great 3D. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Beautiful visuals. And then like cool animals. Yeah. and then I remember that Halloween and the Halloween after, everybody was painting themselves blue because they wanted to be a blue alien. Like, right. But it wasn't because they were sticking up against like environmentalism or corporate. It wasn't any, because of any of that. It right. was just the visuals. That's so. true. That's absolutely true. Um, was, sorry, one last thing. I was going to say, yeah. I almost wonder if the visuals were toned down a little bit and it was more heavily focused on the message, if it would have a different impact. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you it would. I bet you it would too. Yeah. Because the visuals are just so so great that they're distracting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
And they might have had to include some more motivation in the characters. Yeah. Which is a good segue because the next question is, let's talk about the plot and the characters. Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market. Better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. So, Cody, what aspects of the plot resonate with you and what which do not? Well, I mean, I, initially, you know, when you, when, you, when you look at the plot, it basically comes down to, you know, the humans want this resource and the Navi don't want to give it to them. And from that standpoint, it's kind of like, well, that doesn't really resonate at all because <laughs> <laughs> no one's trying to take anything of mine and I'm not trying to take something some of someone else's. But if you break it down a little bit, you know, the Navi kind of just want to live unencumbered by the humans. They just want to yeah. have their own society. And I understand that. I mean, there's you know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And at the same time, though, uh, when you bring in the scientists, it, it, it adds an extra dimension to the humans because they don't they don't necessarily want to take anything away from the Navi. They just want to be able to study them, mm-hmm. which is an interesting concept because you know, there's a lot of things in life where that you know, if if I see a an interesting bird outside, I might want to take a picture or draw it or what have you. Mm-hmm. So it and it, it, th- those are the more aspects that are interesting to me, even though those are not really uh, touched upon very deeply at all in the movie. Right, right. What about you, Seth? Well, kind of going off that, I feel like if it was just the scientists studying the Navi, because there was a ten-year period where the scientists were teaching the Navi, and the Navi were teaching the scientists. Then Avi would have been open to it, you know. But mm-hmm. then, it, then you put the whole industrialization part into it. They start mining. I mean, the first part of Pandora that you see is like this giant crater that mm. the Terran have dug. You know what I mean? And that's all of a sudden now a problem. And now there's this hostility. Mm. Um, kind of like what Cody said. You know, we have this resource. Uh, you have this resource. We want it. Well, no. <laughs> like, right, right, right. It's not a very compelling story. Um, had the, the human just come down there to, let's say, necessarily, not necessarily like industrially, industrialize the planet, but more just like live there yeah. um, as like an escape from, from Earth, you know, and just live there like the Navi, I think they would have been totally fine with co-inhabiting with the humans. Right. I don't think there would have been any problem. It was the fact that the humans were trying to pretty much enslave the whole planet and bend it to their will, just like what they did with Earth. Right, right. That's now the issue. Um, and you get both sides of that. You see the, the you know the colonel having his viewpoint and the corporate guy, and then you see Sigourney Weaver and her scientist having the other view of wanting to co-inhabit. Um, but I mean, the plot itself wasn't that compelling. It was just kind of again, it's a generic story. Yeah. Um, 
But if you are going to watch it, enjoy the visuals. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say I'll say one plot element, and I totally agree with what you guys have both said. But I'm going to say one plot element that I actually really liked, and I'll say two that I've already kind of indicated. But I'll say why they didn't work for me. So the the first one that I really like is the aspect of discovery. And so we discover the world of Pandora through Jake's eyes as an avatar. Yeah. And that gimmick works really well as far as um, discovering the setting as an audience. Yes. And this has been used before, right? Like, we get to understand the world of Hogwarts by uh, by, by the Harry Potter character, yeah. and, like, viewing it for the first time and becoming yep. aware of these things. So that gimmick is a pretty good gimmick, pretty often used gimmick, and it works really well here. Yep. In fact, the whole movie is named Avatar, and it actually makes that makes sense in context, mm-hmm. right? The two aspects of the film, I would say maybe the three aspects of the film, that don't really work and I think are kind of a little bit of a bummer is that there's always this like character who's given two choices, and, he, and then the character is like, so the char- Jake is given two choices. Do you want to side with the Navi, or do you want to spy on the Navi and work for the Colonel? And we see this oftentimes in movies, like, oh, okay, like, do you want to, uh, like, uh, one of my favorite teen movies, which is really funny, and you guys are all going to laugh at me for this, but is She's All That. Um, And in that movie, right, it's like, can you take this, like, sort of, like, nerd person and turn them into a more popular person, right? And then there's this whole thing where you, the guy falls in love with the nerd and, and turns her into a popular person, but it's just, like, Pretty common story. Like, that's yep. a common story. Like, you are pitted against two choices. Are you going to make the right choice? Or are you going to make the wrong choice? Yep. And here, it's just not... It's not done because... It's not done well to me. Because no. there's never any indication that we want Jake to choose one of the other choices. It's just very plain. Yeah. Um, there's no There's no depth to it. There's no depth to it. There's no emotion behind these choices. No. no. Besides, he got some alien tail. And that is my second point, is that, like, the love story seems like a complete excuse. <laughs> right? Like, you don't right? ever get the impression that Natiri and Jake are actually in love. Until it happens. Yeah. And, and, well, and then on top of that, like, he's certainly enamored with becoming part of their world. Yeah. But she almost seems like she's being used by him, not loved by him, mm-hmm. to become a part of their world. Which is so weird, because in Titanic, Cameron's other multi-billion dollar grossing film like he does a really good job of showing what what people will sacrifice for love but that doesn't seem to be present here Mm -mm. it seems to be more of an afterthought yeah and then finally my third problem with it is that the the end of the film is so predictable yep because we just kind of know like from day from the from moment one (laughs) here are these giant assholes corporation and um and paramilitary force they're gonna lose yeah. Like they might do some nefarious things along the way and like win a couple battles, they're gonna lose the war. Yep. Like if it just—I mean, actually, it would be really a fascinating film, and it would not have grossed as much if like the the corporation had basically just taken over the planet, right? <laughs> but see, I would I would have enjoyed that story so much more because yes. it's not predictable, and you wouldn't have seen it coming. Yep. You know, it wouldn't yep. have been just another generic story. I've been like, well, now evil corporations are taking over, and if you don't watch out for this, yep. this is what's going to happen. Not only that, but the message would have been would have hit harder. Yeah. Because then the message would have been like, oh my gosh, like, what are we doing right now in the world where yeah. this could be true? Yeah. 
So how do we fight against these? Because exactly. obviously being throwing sticks and arrows doesn't do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which that's exactly. an issue I had too. Like how did these guys, the, the, the paramilitary has bombs, machine guns, you know, all this super high tech stuff and they lose to, for lack of a better word, Native Americans or, you know, riding a horse yeah. with a bow and arrow. Like imagine like a Native American army going against our military right now. Right. Like who's going to win? I mean, right. With all due respect to them, it's just it's two different time right. time right. periods. Yeah, exactly. It's two different time periods. It's it's basically the Ewoks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's basically the Ewoks. But and the, the Ewoks, Ewoks would never the exactly the yeah. Ewoks would never have won without the rebels. So. Which is which is same te- kind of technology, at least to an extent. Yeah. You know, may not be quite as advanced, but at least they have, are fighting blasters with blasters. Yes, exactly. You know, exactly. Not sticks and stones. Well, and that's where you, <laughs> it would have been interesting, too, if you had a subplot where basically, like, Jake and Trudy, the pilot, the helicopter pilot, were trying to steal weaponry mm-hmm. from the corporation and the paramilitary force so that they could fight back against them. Which they did. They got one helicopter and two guns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, not going to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um... Uh. <laughs> or maybe maybe like the the Taruk or the um, Ikran like can like all like can they can breathe fire or something like give us yeah, something exactly right? yeah. that maybe they have like toxic acid that they can fire or something yeah some kind of like yeah. xenomorph ability <laughs> exactly exactly uh. all right so let's go into this um, tell me your thoughts about the characters and their journey through the story um, how do the characters change in important ways and what mm-hmm. do the characters learn and why is that important Seth. Uh, okay, so starting with Jake, you know, we talked about him a lot. You know, he has his paramilitary side and he comes almost full to Navi, but he's still kind of in the middle. Cody said a really good, great word. He's very um, assertive, not so much aggressive, not so much passive. I think that's a great way to describe him and his character arc. Um, Natiri, she as at first ready to kill Jake the first time she sees him. Mm. And then she sees the sign from Iwa and then she's super annoyed with him. Um, when the, the village shaman says that she has to go and like kind of mentor Jake. You see her get very frustrated, but then it comes full circle and she ends up actually falling in love with him, which is kind of weird because he's not really a uh, Navi. He's actually just like a pod, <laughs> a shell. <laughs> right. So <laughs> that's a little weird, but you know, whatever. Um, and then like all the other characters just kind of fall flat. Like the colonel is still the colonel. The, the corporate guy is still the corporate guy. Sigourney Weaver, though she's a great character and has a great dynamic, She's still the same at the end of the story that she mm-hmm. was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other character that really changed was Trudy, and that pissed me off. Because I can understand, like, when they're shooting down the tree, like, she goes, you know, forget this. I didn't sign up for this. Like, right. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can feel bad for that. I can sympathize with her. I can even go to the extent where she, you know, frees Jake and all the, the other scientists. I can see that, too. But then when she gets in, a pilot, in the, the helicopter and starts shooting other people and killing them, like, it's like, okay... Two minutes ago, you were on their side, and now all of a sudden you want to kill all of them. Right. Like, these are your friends that you've been on this planet for years with, right. and now you just want to kill them all because they blew up a tree? <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> like, That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. It was just frustrating. It's like, why? Would, and she has, like, all the paint. Like, she's one of them, and it's like, okay, you first of all, you've never interacted with any of them. You see that? You never see her with any of the Navi. Right. Like, Sigourney Weaver, totally get that. That she sides with the Navi because you know she grew up with them ten years. They call her mother. She has a very deep personal bond with them. Yeah. Um, even the scientists because they all have the fine fascination with them. And then Jake, obviously, he has this whole thing with Interi. Cool, get that. Right. But Trudy, it was just like it was so out of the blue. Like, 
like, hey, I'm on your guys' side. Actually, I don't like what you're going to do, and so I'm going to kill you all. Like, right. Exactly. <laughs> it just it frustrated me watching yeah. it again. So I can totally see that. That's actually a really good point, and I hadn't even thought of that one. So that's fantastic. So, Cody, talk to me. Well, I mean, yeah, just jump, jumping off of that with the, with the Trudy character, it actually really makes you question why she has a problem with them destroying the tree because she goes to the other extreme of then killing them. Because, <laughs> like, her problem is obviously not with them killing people because then she goes and tries to kill them. Mm-hmm. So it really right. makes it very questionable as to why she would do that. Right. Or what her uh, value system is. Yeah. As for the rest of the characters, um, you know, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about them because there's not a whole lot to them. Yeah. I think one of the things that they did do well is, you know, with Jake does have a character arc despite essentially being an avatar for the viewer. Because that's essentially what he is. You know, you learn about the Na'vi through Jake learning about the Na'vi. Right, right, exactly. So... You become a, you become a Navi based on Jake becoming a Navi. Exactly. exactly. Which I think that's a little good gimmick, like you said earlier. It's a nice little way into the the world, mm-hmm. but they could have done so much more with it and yeah. got so much deeper with it. Absolutely. Like he created this awesome world with just so much like potential. Yeah. And they just scratched the surface, which is a yeah. little disappointing. Absolutely. Well, I think and I think the movie would benefit from like if 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 it had been the second one in the series. So it's like. The first movie shows you like a little bit about what's happening on Earth, and then they introduce you to this world, and then you have the conflict coming in later. Mm-hmm. Right. I was actually thinking the same thing. I'm like, I wonder if this would have been better if it was like an HBO show where there's ten episodes, one-hour episodes. Mm-hmm. And then you can, just like what you said, there's the first episode that's how Earth is, what's going on with Earth. Second episode is like his journey over there, and then like it ends the episode of him just landing on it. And then it kind of, you know, develops and it gives you a lot more time to explore everything. And I was wondering, like, even if it was just a one-season one series, I wonder if it would have been better. Yeah, I can almost guarantee you that if it was HBO and it was a 10-episode series, mm-hmm. it would be way better. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they'd actually get... Because HBO does a pretty good job of, like, giving every character a motivation. Obviously, each show is different. But, yeah. like, they do a pretty good job of, like, the characters and, like... Game of um, Thrones, Silicon Valley, exactly. Deadwood, all that. Go through all of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the only complaint I have about HBO shows is, well, besides the fact that they, I think that they sometimes glorify things that are not good for us. That was like our one talk that we had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we spent like an hour talking about that. Um, besides that being the case, the other thing that I think that sometimes HBO can take too long to develop ideas and it can yes. get kind of boring. Yeah. Like I love Deadwood, but then there's some episodes where I'm like, this is so boring. Yeah. Like there's nothing happening in this entire episode. Anyways, that's a big, our Deadwood podcast later. Um... <laughs> Okay, so I this is actually really funny because I have this written into my notes. Um, <laughs> so all of the character motivations are too on the nose for me, right? Mm-hmm. Their motivations are just kind of like, or I shouldn't say, even say it on the nose. They're just not, they're not given very many whys. Yeah. Why is this person doing this? We have no clue, mm-hmm. right? Um, this is the question I, I wanted to reference because you said this earlier and I've had the same thing in my notes. Like, why is it important for the colonel to be a giant dick to the Navi? <laughs> same descriptive word. Like, it's, or I'm not sure if you use it for the colonel or for the, for the other guy, the corporate guy. But yeah. either way, like, why is that the case? Um, what's psychologically wrong with him that makes him want to do that? 
It's the scar, man. That's the only reason it's, we got. I guess it has to be. He, <laughs> he tried to pick a Necron, and the Necron's just like, whoosh. It's just like, swiped his head. Or the, what's the, the other thing? The the Tyranitor? Taruk? No, no, the, the, um, the, the T-Rex looking thing. Oh, I don't know what that is. It's like a, a Tyranitor, Tyranitor, something like that. Some kind of, I don't know. It was made by Unobtainium. Whatever that was. Um... I think that we could have added a lot more depth if, like, in, 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 like, actual history, there is something really important to be learned and to take from the colon, colonization of imperialistic countries. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how, how America came about and how the Native American people were treated throughout our exploration of the world. And I say our because I happen to be of um, European descent, uh, predominantly. Um, would never guessed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, mostly Croatian, so not maybe not what you would expect, but still at the same time, uh, you know, I think there's something to be learned from colonization. There were a lot of mistakes made in colonization, but what we also saw in colonization was a more nuanced view of how two cultures interacted. There were a lot of times where, I mean, like, so my question would be, how come we haven't seen any Navi that have actually turned to the Terran side? Yeah. Like that, like there's, there has to be some that would be like, you know what? I'm going to get on board with these guys because I think these guys are probably going to take us over and I just want to be like on their side so I don't get taken over. Yep. But that's not an element in this at all. Like there's no element into why that would be bad or why that would be good or why it would be Mm -hmm. at least a gray area, right? Um, That would be much more interesting to me. Um... Well, a movie that does do that, and spoiler alert for anyone yeah. who haven't seen, hasn't seen the newest Planet of the Apes. Oh, um, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, well, I don't know if you care, because it was a terrible movie. Go for it. Terrible. <laughs> really? A lot of people think it's good. It was... I, the, the first two, awesome. Well, the first one was amazing. Mm. The second one was pretty good. This one, I was so bored the, the, the entire thing. Really? But there are a couple apes that join the humans. You uh, know, and the humans are presumably the bad guys, again, yep. in that. Yeah. Um, but they, at least they're given motivation. You know, The humans say, if you join us... We won't kill you when we kill the other guys. Right, and right. That's pretty much their motivation. So, like, even if that was offered to the Navi, because the Navi obviously can't win against the Terran, that would have just been like, okay, makes sense. Now there's a couple of Navi there who are quote unquote cowards or traitors, whatever you want to call them. Who cares? Right. But right. it just adds a little more dynamic instead of like we're all one and we're all one with the planet and we're all gonna live and or die with this planet together. You know what I mean? It's it's not totally practical and i didn't even think about that until you just mentioned yeah it, you know? it would make it more interesting yeah and you could totally do that in a 10 episode series on hbo yes. you could totally mm-hmm. do that yep um and the other thing go yeah, ahead go ahead no no you go ahead the other thing i was going to say is you know taking from history that's something that george R. R. martin does really good because yes. the whole game of thrones is based off uh, i think it's the war of the five roses or the five flowers or something yeah yeah, yeah. which was a huge bloody war over i think like 30 or 50 years something around there 10 15 20 years yep. somewhere something like that but it was a real event. Yeah. And so he, all those events that you see in HBO, uh, the Game of Thrones, are almost identical to what ha- really happened. The, the spoiler, poisoning of King Joffrey, the yeah. Red Wedding, those all are real events that happened. Right. And that's the thing. That's History crazy. is so interesting. You don't need to make up your own thing. You can just take from real events. Yep. yep. And then put it, your own little twist on it. In fact, we just posted a, an interview. It's our first creator interview, um, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, we're gonna do more of them, but I was talking. I was having a chat with um, Malachi Ward, 
and mm-hmm. history has influenced a lot of his writing and a lot mm-hmm. of his material. And we were talking about the very same thing. Like yeah. history is fascinating. Like yeah. history is oftentimes more interesting than fiction. Yep. Um, and obviously, like with George R. R. Martin, he obviously is like, well, what if we took history and actually put dragons in it, yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's some dragons. <laughs> that's <and> awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's kind of cool. But obviously, like Cameron didn't take history. Into account in Avatar, but he could have, and it could have been so much more interesting. Mm -hmm. So, um, the last thing I want to talk about when it comes to characters and their journey through the story, I really don't like the way that the choice is set up for Jake. His choice is not a choice that at any time we think he's going to choose one over the other, which is a bummer because he's given either want your legs back and your human body or do you want to live with the Navi and like side with them right the problem with that is that it doesn't really ever feel like he's giving up something really significant because if he can live on in his avatar body it's technically better than his human body yep so bigger faster stronger exactly exactly so it doesn't ever feel like he has to sacrifice something because he doesn't really have any friendships on the paramilitary side, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing that he's going to give up on the paramilitary side that, um, and he's pretty much a loner. I mean, he had his brother who's already passed away. Like he's, he's very much a loner. And so it's not like he has to give up that much. Like this is a community that's pretty much accepting of him. They like what he's done. There's a couple that don't accept him ever, but, um, well actually until the end and they all accept him. So it's just, <laughs> yeah, it just makes him, it doesn't, it makes his choice to side with the Navi, not as impactful, yeah. because it would be better if he gave up something really intense. If I was in his shoes, I would have done the same thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like there's no struggle. Exactly. That's a great point. I didn't yeah. even think about that. And that's that's from a storytelling standpoint that makes it a lot harder to get behind that change. It would have been better if he had like a girlfriend or a family or something that yes. he was very close with. Yes. And all those video logs were going to them. Yep. Kind of like Interstellar. Yes. Like how he's making these video logs and he's getting super emotional. Yep. That and then now if he has the choice of well now you can get your legs back and go home totally or now that's a whole different dynamic. Oh, what if the what if the colonel was his uncle? Oh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. oh, okay, now all of a sudden it's like well, am I gonna like turn on this family to join this new family? Yep. Like which one do I really belong in? Yep. And then that that is just, just gets us into a bunch of deeper questions. Like could we have? deeper family online as we're an avatar in some other world mm-hmm. it's Ooh. applicable to us as humans as opposed to our family that we maybe don't even like right so i decided we're gonna do an avatar reboot and <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go uh but the thing is like these are such minor tweaks to the story yeah that would have made it amazing right you know because right. the visuals are there the special effects are there yeah. Everything's set in place. The world creation, everything is set in place. It just needs these little tweaks like yeah. we've talked about and it just would have been amazing. I think it could have easily been a 10 out of 10. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. I will say this. I will say this. In defense of creators, because I am a creator and I know how difficult it is to create and it's so much easier to sit down after the creation has been released and be like, well, that could have been better and that mm-hmm. could have been better and that could have been better, which I think is important to do. Obviously, I think it's really important because we do this podcast. Mm-hmm. And as a creator, I would like other people to do that to my works as well. Um, but I will say that uh, in defense of creators, a lot of times there's just so much that goes on in the creative process that it is hard to cover everything that you could possibly cover and create a perfect film, which I don't think... A perfect film even exists although i think we have some close examples um 
But having said all that, we're to our final question, which is kind of the, the crux of why we do all this. And that is, what are some of the things that you can pull out of this film that you would consider truth? And are there any aspects of the film that you would consider untrue? What do you think, Seth? Well, going on your last point really quick, yeah. I think that's why it's important to have a diverse group of people working on a film and not mm. just be the writer, the director, and the producer. Yeah. Because then it's yeah, all yeah. just... I think... Was he all three or was he two out of the three? He might have been all three. Yeah. He certainly and, had the money and the resources to be all three. Which is totally cool, but it's good to have other people who are just as important as your, you know, the director or the producer saying and putting their input you right. know, and not just being yes-men the entire yeah, time. Totally. And when you take all three of those roles... You pretty much only hire yes men. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, side note. Anyways, uh, well, and just just as a just as a couple of different examples of that. Yeah. I personally think that when Chris Nolan works with his brother, or um, I believe David Goyer is the other person he's worked with mm-hmm. a lot um, on the storytelling aspect, they're better films than when he does them himself. Yeah. Um, the same is true of George Lucas, who had a lot of pushback with the originals. Yep. And you can even go back and look at some of the early scripts, which are crazy bonkers weird. Yep. Um, versus what you saw in the prequels, which was George Lucas is a human equivalent of God and knows exactly what to do. And if you were watching any of the special features, Rich McCallum, who seems like a super cool guy, is just constantly being like, George is amazing, George is amazing. <laughs> well, George is amazing and gave us Jar Jar. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just pointing out, like, if you don't, like, I totally agree with you, if you don't have um, some other people giving feedback, yeah. Pixar, Pixar films for a really long time, I think they still do this, had a brain trust of people who would give the director or the writer, yeah. you know, oftentimes both, Feedback like yep. this could be better, and then they would go back and change it, right? So I totally agree. The more um, collaboration you can have, the more diversity you can have, and mm-hmm. what you're making the film with is yep. far better. So well, that's what I do in business. You know, I, you know, there's my business partner Christian who hasn't been on here yet. He's not really a geek. Yeah. He makes fun of us. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> he does make fun of us. Yes. Um, but you know, it, Christian and I, we we talk to everybody. We talk to you. We talk to our other couple mentors. And we make sure we get everybody's opinion before we make an informative decision. Because yeah. had we kept relying on just our gut feeling, we would have been in the same position that we were two years ago. And right. we wouldn't have been in advancing anywhere because right. we don't know any better. Right. You right. Know? And that's why it's so important. And your feedback or Jim's feedback or anyone else who's given us feedback may not be the right feedback, but at least it's a different perspective. Yes. Or, you know, most of the times, more often than not, it's the right feedback. And then we listen to you guys and then we get way farther ahead than we would have had we just listened to ourselves. Totally. So, Totally. Anyways, back to your question. Yeah. Truths. Um, I do think it's very important that this, this movie continues to say that environmentalism is an important thing. Mm-hmm. We do need to take care and nurture our, our planet. I think that's a very, very important theme. Um, and I agree with that. I'm big on you know organic food and any way I can conserve any, you know, anything. I, I do that. Yeah. Um, recycling. You know, I, And I know recycling isn't that big of a deal, but... Um, at least organic is taking a step in the right direction where it's natural uh, or free-raised you know, cattle. There's no really destruction of anything. It's just got... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I know I'm totally just butchering this right now, but <laughs> you get what I'm going for. Anytime I can do like natural organic, I do. And I, I'm a big firm believer in... I like how that's shifting right now and more people are coming to that and it's becoming more of the norm. Yep. I'm glad that is. Um, and I think we should, we're taking steps in the right direction and we need to keep taking those steps in that direction. Uh, so I agree with the film in that perspective. Okay. Or aspect. What else? What other truths do you see? What other lies do you see? Uh, lies? 
it's just it's hard to really find lies because it doesn't go that deep in anything. <laughs> right, so right. it's like <laughs> it, it, had they gone deeper, I think there would have been more contradictory beliefs that I can like identify and more powerful truths that I can identify. But it's just like corporations again. Corporations are bad. Environmentalism is good. And that's yeah. pretty much all you get out of the movie. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And really cool visuals are cool. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah, that's very true. What about you, Cody? What truths and what lies do you see in there? Well, I definitely think the truth being, you know, we should be good t- caretakers of that which we're responsible for. Um, which, as as uh, as humans, that's you know, as a, as a group, it's the entire planet. But as individuals, that you know, that could be like your family, your pets, uh, your yard, um, and to some yeah. extent, your neighborhood and your community, and things like that. Yeah, um, and we should be respectful of others. I know that that seems to be uh, a point of the movie that sometimes is there, sometimes not. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, th- the biggest untruth for me is, you know, uh, people are far more complex than the characters in the movie. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So I think that does a disservice to, um, even 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 the people who are portrayed as good, like, it's still a disservice to them because, you know, if, if, if you want to take the the Navi to be Native Americans and, like, Africans and stuff like that. Well, even that is too simplistic view on those cultures. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Okay. Those are excellent. Um, I coincide with a lot of what you guys are saying. So, actually, the uh, the truths... I have two key truths that I think the movie kind of presents to us that I really like. And the one is the one you've already mentioned, which is we have a responsibility to take care of our planet. Um, and And... And that's really, really important, and we've seen the growing importance of that. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna be approaching, um, you know, seven and a half billion people, which before long will be eight billion people on the face mm-hmm. of the earth, and it's a lot of people. A lot of people, and eight billion of them have a responsibility to take care of the earth. Yeah. Um, and I know that that we can't be perfect in that. We're never gonna be perfect, um, but we have to try our absolute best because that's what I believe has been entrusted to us. And you could say that if you are not a believer in a higher power, you could say, well, we've been entrusted with the earth because of evolution. Um, I'm going to say that we've been entrusted with the earth because God told Mm -hmm. us you are entrusted with the earth. Like you have to take care of it. By not doing that, um, you are essentially disobeying. Like you're basically spitting in God's face because you go like, "Uh, I don't really care about not taking care of the earth. So Mm -hmm. I'll throw that out there. Um, one other aspect, and Cody, you were kind of hinting at this one, um, is just that the the Navi are supposed to be humanoid. It says that they're humanoid creatures, which means that they're not just an alien race, which means also that Parker, the government guy, is crazy super racist. Um, because theoretically speaking, um, those are similar in terms of uh, they're humanoid, we're humanoid. So mm-hmm. he's being racist there. They um, speak. They they actually speak English. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They exactly. Think they have free will. Yeah. Yep. They have all of those things. Um, and I think that one of the truths is that Jake begins to understand these people because he takes time to, and it bridges gaps and expands his understanding of the world. So I've seen this in my own life, right? Because I've been on a couple of missions trips, and I went on a missions trip to China, and China is very different than America, but at the core are still a bunch of people who are amazing people. And, and by the way, I, I do not like 
uh, China's government, <laughs> I was over there and it felt it felt oppressive to me. Now I'm sure I could have gone over there and been in a different circumstance and it didn't feel oppressive, but literally I was working at an orphanage that was trying to take care of children who had been abandoned by their families because they, they had mental or physical illnesses. And those the government was actively trying to shut that place down. Not because they were doing anything nefarious, but because they could be indoctrinating people with a different viewpoint than the government wanted to be um, espousing. So, it's like, terrible. yeah. So, and, and, but I think that like I might have a, a a view of like, okay, communism is bad and wrong and can and can actually um, be a really uh, bad thing. However, when I encountered the people there, the people were amazing. They were some of the coolest people that I've met, and so. Just by me understanding them better, I couldn't lump them in as like, oh, well, this country full of communists is all bad, right? And so I think that that's a really important message that this film gives us as well, is that mm -hmm. if we encounter different people groups, we must understand them before we start to label them, and we must try and come together as opposed to being completely separated. Um, now, having said that, I do believe that there are two things in the film that are not true. Uh, I hesitate to call somebody a liar. I'm not... I don't think that Cameron set out to do that. But I will say that if Cameron believes that all corporations are run by greedy, racist, filthy people, <laughs> I would say that is not true. Like, Absolutely. Um, is it true occasionally, on occasion? Of course. Anyone can choose to be a villain. Like, But you can choose, as a poor person, you can choose to be a villain. If yeah. you're not running a corporation, you can choose to be a you know, total idiot. But... It doesn't mean that if you run a cor corporation, you are also greedy and yeah. evil. And this is the this is the problem with not showing character motivations or how the character has developed, because now we just assume that this is true of all the characters. What if you know? Because the unobtainium yeah. is something that they need to, to the humans need to live now. Well, what if like the guy who owns this corporation, his daughter is dying of some terrible disease. And the only way to save her is through the unobtainium. Yeah, yep. it helps the rest of the humans, but it's also specifically going to help his daughter. Now, all of a sudden, he's not a villain. He's trying to save his family. Exactly. And we don't know that because the story doesn't go there. Yep. Actually, that's, that's a really good example because we see that in, I believe it was Star Trek Into Darkness. I'm not a Star Trek fan, so I wouldn't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, in, in Star Trek Into Darkness, there's a character who basically, um, Khan, gets to set off a, an explosion, a bomb, inside this facility <laughs> But it's because Khan agrees to save his daughter who's dying. So you, yeah. we look at that guy and we go like, his choice is either to set off this bomb or have his daughter die. And we might still label him as like making the wrong choice, but we at least we understand the yep. gravity of what he's doing and why he's doing it. Yep. Um, the last point I'll make is that I think we need to be really cautious with how we brand paramilitary and mercenary organizations. I do not personally like paramilitary or mercenary organizations, and I think that it's very odd to pay a force to be a military force that is sort of like overseen by the government, but sort of not overseen by the government. Mm -hmm. That's weird to me. However, a lot of former military are involved in those things, and I think that, that by painting paramilitary organizations as being run by evil people, that we also then paint former military people as being evil, and I think that that is not true. Um, certainly it could be true, but uh, 
on a one-off basis, not as like a collective. And we don't really see many people that aren't that. Like even the other um, soldiers that are roaming around pretty much fall into alignment with what the colonel's trying to do and what the colonel's perspective on things is. Yep. And so I don't think that that's really a fair portrayal of former military folks at all. Other than Trudy, no one else has a second thought about any of it. Exactly. Exactly. It's just kind of what they do. So with that, any other thoughts about James Cameron's Avatar? Yeah. um, Despite all the negative things we said about it, it is a fun movie. Yeah. So if anything, it's just entertaining. Don't look for it for a super in-depth story that's going to make you think a lot. It's just fun to watch. Yeah, um, and, and if you do have a 3D TV, yeah. this can be a phenomenal experience. I never saw it in 3D. I'm not a big fan of 3D, but you're saying it's a good one? Well, just for the record, I'm not a fan of 3D either, and okay. a movie this long actually really gives me a headache yeah. at the end of it. Um, so I actually prefer to see movies not in 3D. Um, and when a movie comes out, I'll, but because this one was made such a big deal of... Because he filmed the entire thing with 3D cameras and everything, which a lot of times 3D these days is done as a conversion process. It's filmed in 2D, but then computers basically take that and say like where to add depth, where not to add depth. I say computers. It's not like just totally automated. Obviously, human beings are like saying like this is how we'd like to do it. Um, however, this was filmed in 3D, I believe, the entire way through. Mm. So the experience is pretty robust as a 3D film. Like I see. Like when you see the screens um, that they're oper- that the corporation is operating on, like or even just the the scientists, the screens that they're operating on, they're like that are like um, projected augmented reality screens. Those are all like at different layers as you're watching the film. Um. Um, so it's pretty immersive when when you're in that kind of um, environment, and when they're going through the forests, like it's all depth perception, right? Like, uh, I see. Depth. So I would say like if you have a good three D TV, it does add some elements to it that are kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of 3D either, so I'm not going to say like you have to go watch it in 3D. Um, watch it in 4K. Yeah, yeah, watch it in 4K. That would be super cool. <laughs> Any last thoughts from you, Seth? No, like, other than that, you know, it's it's not as bad as we made it seem. There's just a lot of issues with the story itself. The, the whole movie is, itself. Maybe I'll change my answer from an 8 to a 7. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Cody? Any last thoughts about Avatar? I would just say that I think a lot of the negatives come from the potential with which the movie could have yes. could have gotten to. Yep. So, and, you know, for people who haven't seen it and are listening, uh, don't let our negatives make you say, oh, I'm not going to watch it. It's just, you know, we, we wanted it to be even better than it was because, you know, it is an entertaining movie. Yeah. I would probably be a little bit more harsh than you guys. I would say, like, it is... It can be fun, but for me, it's just very frustrating. It's yeah. a frustrating watch as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I just want more depth there that doesn't occur, especially from a filmmaker like Cameron, who's given us some films with like like Terminator. The first Terminator yeah. is awesome. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. And I actually really like Titanic, too. It's not a geek film, but I really like Titanic. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Um, Except and- at the very end... What's her name? Rose could have totally moved over for Jack, and they both could have lived. But that's a separate <laughs> issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I was a little frustrated by it, um, but like Seth and Cody have said, if you just want to kind of see what techn- like what kind of technological film we're capable of producing, um, and you want to get excited about what Cameron's doing in the future, I bet you he'll make it more more uh, deeper. Right? He'll, he'll he'll make it deeper. He'll make it more interesting, and um, you can take it from there. 
What if he makes it a VR, like virtual reality movie? Oh, man. Like you look around, you can see the world, but it kind of takes you through it. That'd be cool. That would be kind of cool, yeah. And yeah, I feel yeah. like doing these next Avatar movies, he'd be the one to do it. He would be. He would definitely yeah. be the one that would step into that space. All right, All right. Story Geeks. We're going to close it out there. Hope you enjoyed the discussion, and um, thanks for listening in. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. That is it for today's podcast. Now it's time for you to share your thoughts on today's topic. Write us an email at hi at reclamationsociety.org or head over to one of our social media accounts and get in touch with us there. Links are in the show notes. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, write us a review or share this episode with one of your geek friends. All right, fellow geeks. As always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.